Many things impact a compliance program, how it runs, and how well it works. But nothing has the same impact as the constantly changing and evolving technology landscape. In ComTech, a podcast on the intersection of technology and compliance, co-hosts Tom Fox and Valerie Charles will help you understand what changes in technology mean for your compliance program. Here's your hosts, Tom and Valerie. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox and Valerie Charles for the initial episode of ComTech, a podcast on the intersection of compliance and technology. I am so thrilled to bring you this first episode. Valerie and I have wanted to do this for some time. We're going to talk about our journeys to ComTech, but more importantly, what that means for you and your compliance practice going forward. Valerie, where do you see us going with this podcast? Hi, Tom. I'm so glad that we're finally getting to do this. Tom and I have been noodling on this for years, and so it's nice to be here. I think we're going to have a great time talking a lot about the ways in which technology is going to change the compliance function and I think elevate the compliance function. So I think we can talk to, you know, the movers and shakers, right? That's in-house people with cutting edge programs, that's providers, that's regulators, and even, you know, business people who have philosophies about these matters. I think the, you know, key providers who are doing cool things, that's who I'm excited to talk to. So Valerie, my journey from lawyer-driven compliance to technology-driven compliance, I want to say is fairly linear. You have one of the most interesting journeys around ComTech of anyone I know, because you went from private practice into a product technology company, and now you are performing consulting work at Stone Turn. Why don't you tell the audience a little bit about your story what you saw as really either a market need or perhaps a market opportunity, how you delivered that market opportunity and how you're using that same technology now to really take uh, compliance work to the next level. So I think for a long time, I was a fairly standard CV. I went to big law out of law school in the early 2000s and went to primarily do white collar work. I was not exclusively anti-corruption work, but it was largely anti-corruption work. After that, I went in-house. So again, a fairly standard move. And I spent three or four years working for a Swiss technology company establishing the program. So when I came into that role, there were no policies, procedures, controls, training, you know, nothing in place. And in establishing and standing up a new program, I was able to understand how the point solutions were solving problems but also able to understand that it was difficult, difficult to pull data and reporting from so many different solutions because they were all solving one individual problem in my program. And from there, to be honest, I realized that other business functions had kind of comprehensive solutions that had better reporting and analytics and all sorts of integrations. We didn't have that at the time in compliance. And so I ended up with a small team of people kind of creating something like that in the software space. And in that process, learning a lot about how people wanted to use technology and how automation could help. And really, I became a lot less fearful about it. I am not a tech person from my training and education. I've always been kind of a humanities person and a creative person. And I think I was a little afraid of technology, but now I'm not. And the more I've learned about it, the more I realize that it is a wonderful complement 
to the human judgment that will always be necessary in compliance. And I think ultimately it'll elevate us all. And now that I've joined StoneTurn, it's kind of the perfect place for me to be because I can leverage the technology background, the data analytics background, and obviously the legal and regulatory background that I have. So I think I've landed in the right spot. Well, as I said, Val, my journey, I think, was perhaps a little more linear. I went into compliance full-time in uh, 2007. And at that time, it was lawyer-driven by lawyers and for lawyers. The policies and procedures were literally legal tomes with legal citations and beautifully written legal documents that were of no use to the business unit or the business folks. I distinctly remember one exercise my company was under monitorship for its FCPA sins, and we had to list every vendor, the business justification for them, what the products or services we got from them were, and how much the annual spend was. It was 10,000 vendors on a spreadsheet. So I distinctly remember that process. It took weeks to do that by hand, but that's what the monitor said to do, so that's what we did. And so as I went into independent practice doing compliance, this is now 2010, 2011, 2012, the Department of Justice was beginning to change in its focus and beginning to suggest that there be technology solutions. Some of the early technology solutions were generally around third-party risk management because that was perceived as the highest risk. But then the DOJ started talking about data and data analytics. They started talking about seeing patterns in raked leaves. They started talking about tech solutions for a wide variety of compliance issues, training, online training, ongoing communications, policies and procedures, obviously hotline, your investigations, your third-party risk management, certainly, the M&A work. And now in the 2020 update, I think we have the strongest focus on technology, and that was around the Department of Justice's discussion about data and information. Data, they specifically said, called out the chief compliance officer who should have access to all data in the company. There should be no data silos that the CCO can't get through. If you want to call them data lakes, you have to be able to swim in every lake. And you have to be able to interpret that data. You have to be able to see those patterns in rake leaves. And the only way you do that is through technology. If you have a huge amount of data, You have to have a technology that's going to, once you set the standards of A to Z, if it's above A or below Z, that's an anomaly. And that may need further investigation. That can be payments. That can be training. That can be your third-party spin. That can be where the payments are going. It can be literally a variety of reasons. And so what really excites me or interests me is that now the DOJ is leading the discussion. And the way these things seem to work is the Department of Justice will get an idea. We'll see it in an enforcement action. Now we have the beauty of the evaluation of corporate compliance programs where the Department of Justice tells us expectations. And we've had two in the past two years. So we know what the DOJ's thinking is. And it is in many ways leading that discussion. You don't have to read the tea leaves anymore. You don't have to go to Mike Volkoff and say, Mike, what does this mean? You can actually read it in the evaluation and the update itself. And then we also had the FCPA Resource Guide second edition release. So I see the Department of Justice moving in this direction. But more importantly, and this is perhaps one of the topics I wanted to explore with you, Valerie, on this podcast, I've come to see compliance as almost a business process. 
I posit that effective compliance equates to more efficient business process, equals greater profitability and greater ROI. And you can't do that unless you have an efficient technological solution or system which helps you manage your compliance function. The example I like to give is any contract you get for work in a major corporation. You're going to have a business developer representative calling on a client or perhaps in the pandemic, emailing them. But you'll have a business development contact with a customer or potential customer. You will get on a bid list. You will get an RFQ. You will respond to that RFQ with an RFP. If you win the RFP, then you have to sit down and actually negotiate the contract. And then if you successfully negotiate the contract, then, of course, you have to execute on that contract. That's a standard business process in the sales cycle. But in each one of those processes, you have a compliance component. It may be gifts, meals, travel, entertainment. It may be charitable donations. It may be your pricing because that can have a compliance component. It's certainly going to have oversight. And if you're going to get pricing discounts, do you have an appropriate level of senior management review? If it's a large business justification for the discount. And of course, after you begin to actually execute on that contract, are you going to have third parties involved in any of your work? Are you going to have an ongoing relationship with your customer? Are you going to bring your customer to the United States for training or to visit? And you've gone through every one of those on the business side of things from your prior work. And so I really see the compliance component as one of the very few organizations in a company that can literally cut through all of those steps and have the ability to have a process in place to make that process more efficient. It'll start out from the compliance component or my perspective, but I think it's going to move into just a business process. perspective. Does that resonate with you, Annie? That makes absolute sense. And I, I think that taking it back for a moment away from just pure technology, you know, the best compliance people, the best compliance professionals and the most effective are the people who are in the business, who operationalize what they're doing. It is not top down. It's sort of inside out or in concert with, it's amazing having been a lawyer turned compliance person, what a real difference that is, because people aren't looking to you to say, you know, can I do it or can't I do it? Is it in the black or in the white? It's really about understanding that there will be risk appetite. You can never eliminate risk, right? You can only mitigate the risk. So there's a balancing act of understanding how much risk do we want to take on? and then assuming that we are going to move in that direction, how do we move forward mitigating as best we can and then tracking it to make sure that we're always getting better and better. The best compliance people are creative. You know, they can stand back and look at the way that revenue flows through the organization and place those gates and controls and stopping points and training sessions and all the things that, you know, theoretically can slow down the business but they'll place them in the right places so that it slows down the processes the least. And I think the answer is usually not no. The answer is usually, you know, let's talk about it. I think there's a creativity in compliance people that's often underappreciated. And the technology piece, you know, for me, one of the most exciting things about the DOJ guidance too is about kind of this continual monitoring concept, real-time dynamic versus snapshot. And I think that's something that, again, you, know, you have to have the technology in play to know that you are 
moving with the times, that as the risk profile changes, as it always does, that your response to it is changing in kind, as opposed to, you know, waiting until the next assessment, which might be a year or two off. So let me turn to some of the folks we hope to talk to, or at least categories of people. And you talked about some of them, but I'd like to add maybe a couple of others. You mentioned some of the top in-house practitioners. They're also either lawyers in private practice or lawyers working as consultants or perhaps former CPAs or internal audit types who have developed some technology that's helped. So I hope we can visit with those. But the one that interests me, and I think you have as much direct experience with this as anyone, is when a non-compliance person comes in and works in a technology company. And it could be a marketing person, it can be a salesperson, it could be a serial entrepreneur who sees either a business need or a business opportunity and moves to create a product to deliver that need. And they really have a very different philosophy, at least educationally and professionally background than you and I do, because we're both legally trained. And so I find their discussions about the use of technology fascinating because they're not talking as if you and I are talking about, well, the Department of Justice has this hallmarks and they evaluate based on these criteria. They come in at a completely different angle of what's the best way to do something. And that something in our case happens to be compliance. There's a couple of qualities, right, that you see with those types, the entrepreneurs. They're problem solvers. For the most part, the folks that I've worked with and gotten to know, and I know a lot of the people running these dynamic tech companies in compliance space, they're problem solvers. And they really get excited by efficiency. And they get excited by taking something that is just not being done in a sensible way and correcting the problem. And then also, I think, I've certainly watched people learn in this space that what we do in compliance is very, very, very important. And it is something that we don't get enough appreciation for, for keeping the train on the track. All of these affirmative efforts that compliance folks undertake to keep the train on the track, you know, they don't get it really noticed unless and until the train goes off the track. And I think part of what has been cool working in tech has been the reporting and the sort of translation of all of that work into digestible formats that boards can understand, that audit committees can understand, that senior management can understand, that all the stakeholders can understand. And again, in turn, it elevates the profession. When I think about other business functions, you know, you think about finance and you think about HR is a great example. If you go back 20 years in HR, HR people did not have the voice at the table that they have today. And I firmly believe that the technology that has allowed that function to shine is a huge part of how that industry has become more important and certainly a larger voice at the table. And I think the same is increasingly true for compliance. We all know it's a growing area, but I believe that the technology and the people, the entrepreneurs that have this kind of problem solving craving, everybody's a part of what's going to ultimately elevate this profession and give everybody the louder voice that's frankly deserved in the corporate conversation. Valerie, unfortunately, we're near the end of our time for our first episode, but I think we really got the chance to talk about why we wanted to do this, how long we've wanted to do this, and what we hope to achieve. I am really excited about where we're going to take this. And do you have any final thoughts? 
you know what, what I'll say is that this is going to be fun. I think, you know, even just the process of kind of figuring out who we're going to talk to and really kind of identifying those movers and shakers in the space. It's a broad concept, so we can do what we like. And I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Well, Valerie, I look forward to seeing where we take this puppy. Me too, Tom. Let's do it.